I'd like to begin our time today by asking you a few questions. Suppose I were to ask you to characterize your relationship with God. Using a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being, I have a very close relationship with God, and 1 being, I'm a stranger. How would you rate yourself? The second question is similar, but more focused upon God and how he would rate your relationship with him. Would God consider you to be a friend or a stranger? If we were in a court of law, with God being your judge and my judge, would there be enough evidence to convict me or you of having a close relationship with God? Today we will be exploring the topic of intimacy with God. And I'm not here to proclaim that I'm an expert on the topic. I am a pilgrim just like you. But I know that this is one of the greatest needs that we have in the Christian life. And quite frankly, this is a great time to seize the opportunity to build some disciplines that will help you to walk with God, to walk more closely with him. Let me make something else clear. I don't have a magic formula, and I don't have 10 quick and easy steps to intimacy with God. We live in an instant age in which everyone wants things to happen immediately. And when it comes to intimacy with God, it is not instant. It's not like like making uh, instant potatoes. Please understand that can't get the word out today. Intimacy with God is a process. It is a lifelong journey. And with this concept of fellowship with God, there are misconceptions that can derail our pursuit of God. One misconception is this: that fellowship with God is easy. No, it's not easy. It will require work. It will require time. It will require effort. Effort. Another misconception is this. Fellowship with God will mean thou, that I will always feel closeness or nearness to God. He is never far away. Quite frankly, fellowship with God will sometimes feel like we are in the wilderness. And God is nowhere to be found. He still wants us to pursue him. Another misconception is this, that fellowship with God is for Jason Wallace. He's a pastor. Jason Judy, Steve Hartland. Those guys are pastors. Peter Brown, Mark Lozier, Jeff Raleigh. These guys are deacons. They should have a close relationship with God. No, fellowship with God is not for the super-duper Christian. It's for all Christians. One ancient writer who lived in, uh, I think, the 1800s, Horatius Barnair, he had this to say about intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is the very essence of religion. 
and the foundation of discipleship. It is intercourse with Father, Son, and Spirit that the most real parts of our lives are lived. Did you get that? When we fellowship with God, that's what we call being real because everything is open and exposed to God. He goes on to say, and all parts that are lived, not lived in fellowship with God, in whom we live and move and have our being, are unreal, untrue, unsuccessful, and unsatisfying. His point is that life lived apart from fellowshipping with God will not bring any lasting satisfaction. He goes on to point out that just because I have knowledge about God doesn't mean that I'm close with God. Knowledge can sometimes puff us up, and knowledge can make us cold and hollow, and we just become cold, hollow religious people, and we don't want that. We want to have a relationship where we walk with God. So where do we begin? Well, we begin with God, and I'm going to propose to you a proposition. And the proposition is this. God desires that men know him. God desires that I know him, that you know him. Now, we're making this proposition, but we must prove it from Scripture. Let me make a few statements relative to knowing God. The only way that we can gain any knowledge of God is that God discloses himself to us, to man. God does not need to reveal knowledge about him to himself. He knows all things fully and completely. So the very fact that we have biblical revelation is evidence that God has initiated communication with man. Now, here are some verses that give us evidence to support the proposition that God desires men to know him. Now, some of you may know that God has chosen to communicate to man in two ways. Theologians call it natural revelation and special revelation. And these verses are going to be dealing with both. Natural revelation, which is God communicating to man through nature, and then special revelation is God communicating to man through the revelation of the Word of God. In Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's dealing with those that have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, and he's given reasons why they're going to be without excuse. Paul writes these words, for what can be known about God is plainly plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You see, I can look at my hands and listen to my voice, and look at the sun and the moon and the stars, and I can figure out that something, someone made me. 
And God says we are without excuse. And this indicates that God wants men to know him. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, Jeremiah's writing, the children of Israel had rebelled against God, and God is telling them what they need to do to get back in relationship with him. And he says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God delights in men knowing him. And this verse tells us that we can understand some things about God and that we can know God. The Lord Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer made this statement in John 17, 3. He said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we see again that God wants men to know him. And one final verse, I think this is the cream of the crop of the verses that we'll look at, indicating that God wants men to know him, is in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where the writer of Hebrews says God's been trying to communicate on many different ways. Let me just read the verse. He said, long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, over and over again, God has been communicating to man. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the love of God pursuing man. And even after sin entered the world, God did not relent in desiring fellowship with man. But there was one barrier that had to be overcome in order that men could enter into true fellowship with God. And the only way that barrier could be destroyed, the only way that it could be removed was by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to communicate truth about God and rip away the barrier. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews wrote these words. He says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. 
and burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You see, God's desire to fellowship with man can be seen in the fact that Jesus Christ came into this earth. And we could imagine the counsel of the Godhead as they were discussing what they would do. And Jesus raises his hand and says, I'll go, prepare a body. And God said, I will put my essence into this body, an exact imprint of who I am in order to communicate to man my nature, in order that man might understand who I am, that he might gain knowledge about me. So the greatest evidence that proves that God desires fellowship with men is the price that he paid in order to make that fellowship possible. And the extent of his desire is very clear. In Romans 8.32, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Many of you have children. Could you imagine having an enemy that despises you, that sometimes ignores you, that maybe even would shake their fists at you, but you still desire to have fellowship with that enemy? That's what God did. Take it a step further. In order to enter into that fellowship, you had to pay a price. And you had to give your only son or your only daughter. Could you do it? That's what God did. You must be convinced that God is not playing hide and seek with you. God desires fellowship with you. Think about that, the God of the universe, and put your name in the place. He desires fellowship with you, Jason. With you, Peter Brown, your name popped in my head. He desires fellowship with you. And he encourages us to seek after him. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4.29, as Moses was recording what God wanted the children of Israel to do, the scripture says, but from there you will seek the Lord, the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. The psalmist said in 27, 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. 
You see, God wants to be everything that we need. He has made it clear in his word. Why? Because he loves us with an everlasting love. Now, are you convinced that God desires the fellowship with you? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, we were enemies of God, and God broke down the wall of separation. He removed the barrier of our sin so that we could be friends with God. The psalmist says in Psalm 18:2, "The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold." Psalm 91:14 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. Now, those verses indicate personal pronouns of possession. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my deliverer. He is my helper, my protector. Can you say that? God wants to be that to you. He wants to be that to me. Are you convinced that God desires fellowship with you? Anytime there is a close relationship, there are two parties, and both parties must have a desire. And God has clearly indicated he has the desire. He wants the fellowship with us. Now, let's talk a little bit about intimacy. What is it? Simple definition could be to have a close friend, a confidant. One writer said, having a close friendship with a person whereby we have a detailed knowledge of them through much study and experience. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. Intimacy or fellowship with God is having a relationship in which you are vulnerable, in which you are exposed. And the deepest part of you is an open book to God. And thank God that he condescends to us, to our level, to reveal to us parts of himself. And if the truth be known, we can never comprehend all there is to know about God, but he has communicated enough to us that we might know him. One writer says, the model of true intimacy is the Trinity. God in a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, our intimacy with God and with each other is ultimately, and listen to this, a reflection of God's intimacy within the members of the Godhead. 
This means that intimacy is an essential part of the very nature of God. And because we are made in his image, it is natural to us as well. This is why we are capable of intimacy with others and with God. It is our nature. So now that we've established that God desires to have fellowship with us, let's take a look at some of the key virtues or qualities that will help facilitate a close fellowship with God. The first of these is, as God desires to have fellowship with us, there needs to be a desire in us to have fellowship with God. You may say, Pastor Stan, I, I, I don't have that desire. Well, maybe you don't. And you need to get on your knees and ask God to help you in that area that God might give you a desire to fellowship with him. In Psalm 42.1, the writer says, the psalmist says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And this is a picture of a deer panting for water, a deer that is thirsty. And for the deer, thirst is something that could end up being a matter of life or death. If he doesn't get that water, he could die. And the child of God is said to want or to have a desire to so pant after God, to thirst after God. Those that have a close fellowship with God, they have a desire. They have a desire to seek after God. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So the first virtue or quality is there needs to be a desire within me to seek after God after God has revealed that he desires a relationship with me, the fellowship with me. And you may be a stranger to God. You may not know God. You may be tuning in and not go God. And I would encourage you to pray and ask God to enter into your world. Ask God to enter in. He has sent his son in order that you might be able to enter into fellowship with him. And all he wants you to do is turn to him, turn to him, enter into that relationship with him, and he will give you the desire to fellowship with him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Another virtue that we find for those that walk closely with God is the virtue of humility. And this is indispensable when it comes to fellowship with God. We can do a lot of things for the kingdom of God. We can teach, we can serve, we can do all kinds of things. But if we're not growing in humility, all is in vain. You see, the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes us by not drawing near to us. 
Psalm 138, 6 says, For though God is high, he regards the lowly, but the hardy he knows from afar. You see, God is not going to draw near to us if we are full of pride. Everything that we do in the Christian life hinges on humility. We can't love, we can't obey, we can't serve God without true humility. Jonathan Edwards said the This humility is a great and most essential thing in true religion. What is humility? It is not self-hatred or lack of self-confidence. Humility is the ability to see oneself and this world through God's eyes. When we see ourselves as we really are, Sinful, wretched men without hope in this world, apart from the Jesus Christ, then God can begin to lay the foundation for true contentment and an accurate assessment of who we are in Him. The opposite is true when we are full of pride. With pride comes spiritual blindness. One writer says that pride is a demonic catch-22, causing us to chase our spiritual tails. I could not see my pride because I was full of it. Pride, a spiritual veil, blinds us to the truth about ourselves. C.S. Lewis had this to say, there is no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves if you think you are not conceited it means you are very conceited indeed here is the great paradox the proud man thinks he is humble and the humble man thinks he is proud well let's take a look at isaiah 66 2 and god gives us a few things here that will help us to understand why humility is so important if we are to enter into close fellowship with God. Isaiah 66.2. I failed to put this in my own notes. I hope it's down on the screen there. Let me get to it, and then I'll read it. Isaiah 66.2. It says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And then listen to what he says. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see, humility leads to all kinds of other characteristics that are pleasing to God. Humility is said to be the root of many other virtues. Here it leads to contrition, repentance, remorse, regret, sorrow. Then it leads to a great respect for the word of God. The writer said he trembled at the word of God. That's who God looks to. Humility leads us to a very sensitive heart, a heart that is ready to hear and heed the voice of God. And humility paves the way for us to cultivate a love for God and enter into close fellowship with Him. 
You see, pride does just the opposite. It leads us down the path of self-righteousness instead of trembling at the Word of God. And you know, this can happen to Christians. You remember David? You remember what Nathan said to David? David had sinned against God by entering into a relationship with Bathsheba. And God had to send Nathan to David to confront him. In 2 Samuel 12, 9, we read, Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You see, David in his pride thought he was above the law of God. He could commit this sin and get away with it. When he deliberately disobeyed God, he did not take the word of God seriously. He despised the word of God. Humility is important because it will lead us down the path of trembling at the word of God. Great respect for the word of God leads men into real communion with God. And when we have this disposition of mind, we are more sensitive to the voice of God and we will heed his instruction. We will be men and women of great gratitude and we will recognize that we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. When this happens, God says, that's the man, that's the woman that I will look to. Poor, contrite, and trembles at my word. So we see that we have to have a desire. We see that we need to have humility if we want to have a close relationship with God. And this has a, an effect on everything that we do. Another virtue that we see in the Word of God for those that walk closely with God is this. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? Do you trust that what he says is true? And one of the big foundations for a relationship in any realm is trust. I've seen so many relationships destroyed because trust had been violated. And it's hard to be intimate. It's hard to have fellowship with someone that you don't trust. At best, your relationship will be superficial and shallow. The more we trust someone, the closer we can get. If trust is violated, so goes intimacy. So the question is, how much do you trust God? The psalmist said this about trusting God. Trust him at all times. 
O peoples, pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. Do you trust God at all times? We can trust God when we have joy in our life. We can trust God as we enter into the valley. We can trust God as we enter into the darkness of the valley. When unemployment is my lot. When health issues are my lot. When my kids aren't doing what they should be doing. I am to trust God. In the darkest of times, do I trust him? Do I believe that God is there and he's for me? We are to trust God when all hope seems to have vanished away. Intimacy with God means I never lose sight of him. I never let go of him. And it's probably better to say that God never lets go of us, does he? Do you trust that God will help be holding on to you tightly no matter what's going on in your life? You see, those that have close fellowship with God trust him at all times no matter what they're going through. Do you trust him? Got to keep an eye on the clock here. Running out of time. All right, another virtue that we find for those that have a close relationship with God is the virtue of solitude. Our world is busy. We're at a time right now, though, when things have slowed down, right? It's going to ramp up again at some point. We live in a hustle and bustle world. And a lot of people don't know the meaning of solitude. Even though we've been shut down, there are some that can't enter a room and have silence. They need something going on. Some view solitude as the enemy. And many of us seek to avoid it like the plague. It's almost like we're addicted to noise. And we have to have a fix. And if we don't get some outside stimulation, we feel that our world is coming apart. And some of it is very frightening to be alone in our thoughts. But what does God say about setting before him in solitude? Let's turn in our Bibles. In Psalm 46.10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And this is a psalm about troubled times. And it's meant to encourage the people of God. It is a safe haven for God's people. It is a psalm that gives us assurance of God's presence. It promises that God will help us. He will be our strength. He will be our refuge. And that he will always be with us. And verse 10 of this psalm is very instructive. Again, we have God's perspective on how 
we are to know him. God gives us a commandment. We are to be still. The word means to cast, to throw. It also means just simply to be quiet before God. In the context of great turmoil, the people of God are told by God to be still, to be calm and relax, to rest assured that he is in control. We are to clear our mind and think about God. You see, in solitude, God speaks. It is a time to focus our attention upon God. And God can make sense of life in this world in which we live. You see, God wants to invade your world and my world. God wants to consume our lives. God wants to permeate our thinking. And this runs contrary to 21st century America. We're so used to activity, 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 and being busy and having no time to think and let God invade the inner man of our soul. The Bible has a lot to say about meditation. We've talked about solitude, being alone with God. Consider this verse in Joshua 1.8. I think Steve mentioned it last week. Oh, no, he mentioned it in one midweek service. Do not let this book of the law die. Do not let the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1-2 says, His delight is in the law of the law. And His law does He meditate day and night. And we know what meditation is. It's to speak to oneself. It's to murmur in a low voice. To, to get alone with God in solitude. Do you do that? Those that have a close relationship with God they take time to be silent before him. Do you desire God? Do you have humility? Do you trust him at all times? Do you practice solitude? Those are the things that will help us to draw near to God. Those are things that we can do. It's, it's work, though, isn't it? It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Yes, we need to enter into these things in order for us to have fellowship with God, close fellowship with God. And the greatest thing that I want you to remember today as we close is God desires to have fellowship with you. And he paid a great price in order to make that happen. I want to close our time by looking at Isaiah 57, 15, where God says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place 
and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, I'm there with you. Those are the virtues, those are the qualities that I'm looking for to enter into close communion and fellowship with you. Well, let's bow before our God and thank him for our time together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ who was full of the very essence, the very nature of God. We thank you that he came into this world in order to destroy and to rip away the barrier that would hinder fellowship with you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to have those qualities, those virtues, those those elements, Lord, that would help us to enter into close communion, close fellowship with you. Give us the desire. Give us the trust. Help us to get alone with you in solitude. Help us, Lord, in the realm of humility. And Father, we pray that you would come as Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that you would come and make your abode with us. Lord, we pray for those that may not know God. He has given an invitation. He says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. We pray that you would help them, Lord, to enter into a relationship with you. We thank you, our God, that you love us with an everlasting love. And we thank you, dear God, that we can know you and we can enter into fellowship with you. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.